0: On this episode, intimate knowledge, jealousy, anger, discouragement, victimization, and where did all the people come from? Hello everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the titles, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is episode 5, and today we'll be going over lessons 7 and 8 of the Creation, Corruption, and Destruction study. Last episode we read at the end of Genesis 3, and we talked about God's response to the people's sin. He imposed lasting consequences upon the man, the woman, and the snake, but He also provided a way for our sin not to keep us separated from Him forever with the sacrifice of an animal for Adam and Eve, and eventually the sacrifice of Jesus for all of our sins. So if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen. It's helpful to go back and look in the Old Testament and see the shadow of the things that were to come because for thousands of years they had to sacrifice animals for their sins until Jesus came and died for all of us. Now this week, we're going to be reading from Genesis 4, and we'll be discussing Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel, and we'll talk about the sin of Cain. Before we begin talking about Cain and Abel specifically, I want to focus just a moment on two scriptures that have the same word in them, but they're used in a different way because translation kind of gets lost, and we really need to understand what this word means. So I want you to listen for the word "new" in these verses. The first verse is Genesis 3, 7, and it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So this is Adam and Eve. They knew that they were naked. Now, the next one is Genesis 4-1, and it says, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So they use the same word to describe Adam and Eve knowing that they were naked and also knowing each other sexually. This is also the same word that's used in Psalm 46-10. So I want you to listen to this word. We're going to begin in verse 8, but the word is going to be in verse 10. So listen for the word know. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. So this is talking about us knowing God, but not just knowing him because the things before says that we know that he can make war cease that He can break the bow and shatter the spear. This is the kind of knowing, not just a knowledge of God, but a knowledge of what He can do and who He is. One more verse. This word is found in Matthew seven We're going to start reading in verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So this is talking about God knowing us. Obviously, God knows us, right? He knows who we are. So this is a different type of knowing than, than just head knowledge, than just I know that person. When Adam and Eve knew that they were naked, they knew they were naked before, but what they know now is that it's evil. Now that they've eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, now they know that there are good and bad things in the world, and they know that it's bad to be naked. That's what they know. So it's a deeper knowledge. It's far beyond head knowledge. When Adam knows his wife Eve and she conceives and has a child, obviously that is a more intimate, complete knowledge than if some other person were to know Eve, right? This is a a knowing that only a husband is allowed to have. When it talks about be still and know that I am God, know that I am the God that can do all these things that I previously told you. Make war cease and all of that. And then this last one, when it talks about Jesus knowing us, the people are saying, hey, we did all these things in your name. Why are we not going to heaven? And he says, I never knew you. What he's saying is, I never had a relationship with you. Yeah, you used my name. You threw it around. But that doesn't mean anything. I never had any kind of experience with you. And so this word is a knowledge by experience. That's its definition. It's not just logically knowing something. You have to know it by experiencing it. You know that you're naked by experiencing the shame of not having your clothes on. You know your wife by experiencing her body. You know God and who He is by having experiences with Him and seeing the things that He's capable of doing. And Jesus knows us if we have experiences with Him, if we've had some sort of relationship. And so He's telling the people, hey, I never knew you. That verse was so disturbing to me for the longest time until I understand what this really meant because I'm like, what if I'm that person? What if I'm the person that God turns away and says, hey, I never knew you. And I'm going to be like, what are you, are you kidding me? I know you, you know, and that's not what he meant. I don't have to have that fear now because I know that I do have a relationship with God. And so he's telling us, he not only wants us to know that he exists, And Him to know that we're here, He wants a relationship with us. He wants experiences with us. And so this is a type of knowledge that is intimate and open, transparent, okay? Something that needs no cover, that needs no hiding. And so when we understand more what that word means, then we can understand more what the Bible is saying to us. And so just before we get started, I want you to think for a moment is your relationship with God intimate, complete, open, transparent? Do you know Him from experience? Do you have a relationship with Him? And then also, what does this tell us about marriage and His reason for being faithful to one person? If you know them that deeply, then it seems to me as though this is something that you don't share with just anyone, right? If you're married... Do you have that type of knowing with your spouse? Not just a sexual relationship, but a relationship that is open and transparent and intimate and complete. Something that's special that only the two of you share. That's the kind of knowing that God's talking about. And if you aren't married, what steps can you take to help reserve that type of knowing just for your spouse? You know, not giving of yourself to someone, something that belongs only to your spouse. When we understand what this type of knowing means, then we can understand more how important it is for that type of knowing to belong only to one person on this earth. So that's the first thing that I wanna talk about. Now we're gonna go ahead and get into Cain and Abel. And so we just read in the first verse that Adam and Eve had a son and they named him Cain. Beginning in verse two, it says, and again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So let's stop right there and just think for a minute. Why do you think that God was not pleased with Cain's sacrifice? It doesn't give us a lot of information here. It doesn't tell us a lot about why. He just says that he was pleased with Abel's and he was not pleased with Cain's. Let's look at Hebrews 11.4. Many times when we don't get a lot of information in the Old Testament, sometimes they will give us more information in the New Testament or even further along in the Old Testament. And so when we feel like we don't know all that we need to, we can always look up that person's name throughout the rest of the Bible or that subject or whatever and try to get more information on it. There's lots of Bible apps and things like that out there where you can just type in a word and it will show you where that is found in other places of the Bible. Most Bibles also have something similar to that. It may not be exhaustive, but something like that in the back of your Bibles. So we're going to look in Hebrews 11:4, and it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So it tells us right here that Abel offered his sacrifice through faith and that it was more acceptable than Cain's. And it seems to me that it's more acceptable because it was offered in faith. I may be wrong because, again, we just don't have a ton of information, but it does say in Genesis 4 that Abel brought of the first fruit of his flock and of the fat portions, and it doesn't really specify exactly what it is that Cain brings other than just of his fruit. And so my assumption is that Abel probably brought of his best animals, and Cain most likely just brought some fruit. And the reason that it would take faith to bring your best animal is because if you sacrifice your very best animal then you don't have that animal to breed with another animal and so you have to have faith that god is going to continue to give you more of the best animals otherwise you've just given your very best away and so it would take faith in god in order to do that whatever the reason is it seems that Cain knew that his offering wasn't exactly what God wanted. Maybe God told them that he wanted their best and Cain didn't give it because it does seem that Abel gave the very firstborn. Giving the first is always harder than giving some that you already have. And so God asks that of us throughout the Bible. He says things like this, to give your first to him. And so It's very possible that God had given a command and Cain didn't follow it and Abel did. But either way, it seems that Cain knows that he didn't do what he was supposed to do because in verse 6, God says to him, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So it seems to me that God's saying, Hey, you knew that you didn't do what you were supposed to do. You knew that this is not what I asked for. So why are you upset now? If you do what I want you to do, then I'll accept it. That's all there is to it. So he doesn't baby him and tell him, oh, I love yours too. You did a good job. He says, no, I asked for a specific thing. You know what you did. And if you do what I want, then I'll accept it. Simple as that. You weren't accepted because you didn't do what you needed to. Now listen to the last part of verse 7. It says, And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So God says, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, then sin is crouching at the door. Basically, God's telling him, hey, this is already done. And so from now on, just do what you're supposed to do and I'll be accepting of it. And if you don't, then I won't accept it, and then you're probably going to give way to sin. God's giving him a warning right here because he knows he's angry and disappointed. It's so crazy because Abel didn't do anything wrong, but he's mad at him. God's trying to warn him before he does anything wrong. Listen to verse 8. It says, Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. So God warned him. He said, if you don't watch it, you're going to sin. You need to stop yourself right now. And he just could not help himself. Listen to what 1 John 3.12 says about why Cain killed Abel. It says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's were righteous. Not only did he do wrong, but his brother did right. And that was just too much for Cain to bear. He was jealous of Abel because Abel got all the accolades from God and he did not. And it's easy for us to just sit here and say, What was wrong with Cain? He's horrible. I can't believe he would do something like that. But have you ever felt like him? Have you ever been jealous of the success or the recognition of someone else, even though you knew that they were deserving, but you just were sad that it wasn't happening for you? Or have you ever felt angry or discouraged at someone disapproving of your actions? I know I have. It's hard when someone doesn't approve, but if we'll stop and reflect, much of the time, there's validity to the feelings that they have. Many times we're really quick to take offense when we should just listen and think about what they're telling us. Obviously, if it's God, then he's right. If it's another person, then sometimes they aren't right, but sometimes they have a valid point. Sometimes we're discouraged when it would be better for us to just take note and do better next time. And that's what it seems like God is telling him. He's like, hey, if you would have done the right thing, I would have been happy with you, but you didn't, so I'm not. And so next time, just do the right thing. You know, Cain could have stopped it right there. He could have said, okay, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'll listen to you. I'll do better. But instead, he just couldn't stop his feelings, basically. He gave way to his jealousy and his anger and his discouragement. And he just couldn't fight his feelings of victimization. It is easy. It's easy to do that sometimes. It's easy for us to just dwell on those negative feelings, dwell on our anger, or sit and just feel so horrible about ourselves and and just have this little pity party and then decide that it has to be someone else's fault. It's easy, especially in this world today, to feel like a victim because this world, a lot of times, gives attention to the victim, and so it's easy to stay in that position. But Cain had a chance to change his own behavior, and instead he focused on everyone else. He couldn't quit dwelling on his feelings, and they led him to murder. The thing is, is that God knows that once we allow sin to take hold of us, then oftentimes it can lead us to a place that we never thought we would go. It's easy for us to say, well, he killed somebody. It's not like I'm going to kill anyone. But the thing is, is that many times sin will take us to places that we never thought we would go if we allow ourselves to sit in it and be more and more angry, or more and more upset, more discouraged, more feeling like we are victimized, we are owed something, more that we blame other people, then the less we take the focus off of ourselves, which means we can't learn from our mistakes. Satan likes to tell us we're failures, and we're not supposed to be failures, and so this world tells us, oh, you didn't fail. We don't want people to fail. We don't want people to feel bad about themselves. So we're just going to tell everybody that they're doing a good job. That is not good because then we don't learn from our mistakes. So we do one or the other of these things. We either sit and allow Satan to tell us, oh, you're horrible. You are just such a failure. And then we sit in that discouragement or we allow this world to tell us, hey, I'm not a failure. I didn't do anything. I'm good. My offering's great. He didn't like it, but I didn't do anything wrong. It's all fine. And we just defend ourselves. God didn't allow that. He said, no, you did. You did something that you should not have done. You did this in a way that was not acceptable to me, and you know it. So as opposed to sitting here and wallowing in your self-pity or being angry with your brother, here's what I want you to do. I want you to learn from this mistake and just do better next time, and I'll accept you. That's what God tells him. We have to be really careful to listen to rebuke. It is so hard. But God warned him and he wouldn't listen. And then what's even worse is God doesn't just walk up to him and say, "Oh my goodness, you killed him. How come you did that? I tried to warn you." You know, God gives him opportunity. He asks him, "Hey, where is your brother?" And instead of just saying, "Ah, oh, man, I'm so sorry." I was just so angry. I wasn't thinking straight, you know, whatever. He says, I don't know where he is. Am I in charge of him? Completely callous attitude, right? And we can sit here and we can be like, oh my goodness, I would never speak to God like that. Well, hopefully we wouldn't. But the thing is, is do we have that attitude many times? Do we have that attitude of, I don't know, what's it to you? You know, why are you bothering me? We have a choice when we sin. We can either repent and learn from that sin and change our ways, or we can allow our hearts to grow callous. And that's what he did. He no longer had any respect for God or the sanctity of life. He didn't care about his brother. He didn't care about God. All he cared about was himself. And so when we're confronted with our sin, we need to choose to humble ourselves and repent as opposed to hardening our hearts and becoming callous and indifferent and that's what he is he is past feeling listen to this verse from ephesians 4:17 through 19 i'm reading from the new king james version right now They've given themselves over to lewdness and their past feeling. They don't care about it anymore. Their conscience is seared. Listen to this verse from 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. This is also New King James. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Their consciences are seared. They don't have a conscience anymore. They don't care. It's burned away by all of their sin. That is not a situation that we want to be in. We need to take lesson from Cain here, whose heart is so hard that when God asks him what happened to his brother, he isn't able to say, I messed up. But his first instinct is not only, you know, just to lie, but to be completely hard of heart and completely callous and indifferent. It's almost as if he's frustrated that God would even ask such a question. This is a horrible attitude to have. And it's a choice that we make whenever we choose not to humble ourselves and learn from our mistakes. Let's keep reading and see what God has to say about this. So in verse 11, it says, Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth and received your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. So do you notice that now all of a sudden he's like, oh no, that's too harsh of a punishment. It's like he's saying, no, wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Don't punish me. You know, like a child, as soon as the punishment comes, oh no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Here's the problem. We obviously know that he is not sorry. His response just a minute ago told us that. When God asked him, he had the opportunity at that moment to say, I messed up, and he chose not to. And so now God says, well, you know what? If you no longer have any respect for me or the sanctity of life, you don't care about your parents, you don't care about your brother, well, then maybe you'll care about this punishment. That's the whole purpose of a punishment, right? Is if we don't care until the punishment comes, then we have to have a punishment. If we can change our ways just because we feel bad about them, then there's no purpose in the punishment. Do you remember the psalm that we read in one of the previous episodes that talks about the horse? Psalm 32 9, when it says, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it won't stay near you. This is basically God saying, Don't make me come over there, right? It's like, Don't be like that where I have to make you. I can make you, but I'd like to just warm you. I'd like to just say, Hey, be careful sin desires to have you, but you must master it. It's crouching at your door. Pay attention. He wants to just say that. And then even when we do sin, he wants to say, hey, what's going on? What happened? And he wants us to say, I'm so sorry. But if even at that, if we can't even admit the thing that we know he knows we did anyway and feel remorse at that point, then we're like the horse that has to have the bit and bridle in his mouth that pulls him that makes him do what he's being told to do. We don't want God to say, don't make me come over there. I don't want to make you, but I will. And that's where Cain put God in that position. He says, you know, if you're not sorry, now you will be because there's going to be consequences. Okay. So let's continue reading in verse 14. Surely you've driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it'll happen that anyone that finds me will kill me. And the Lord said, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So we're not sure what this mark is, but apparently everyone knows what it means. And so God said, you're not going to get killed, but you are going to have the punishment that I told you before. Continuing in verse 16, then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad begot Mehujiel and Mehujiel begot Methushel, and Methushel begot Lamech. Okay, obviously, I don't know how to say those names, but anyways. Then it talks a little bit more about Lamech, and it says, Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the other's name was Zila. And Adah bore Jabel. He was the father of those that dwelt in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the harp and the flute. As for Zila, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Then Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zila, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I've killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. So basically this just gives the lineage of Cain after he's sent out by God. We see the details of Lamech and his children and what each one of them did. Now this raises several questions. First of all, who are the people that Cain is scared of and who is his wife? Because all we know about is Adam and Eve and that they had two sons named Cain and Abel. And Abel is now dead. And these are the only people that we know about on the whole earth. And so who are the rest of these people? Where did they come from? Is there an entirely new set of people that were created that have nothing to do with Adam and Eve? Or are all of these descendants of Adam and Eve? How do we reconcile this? Let's continue reading in verse 25, and then we'll talk about this. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now chapter 5 goes back and it explains all of this from the beginning with Adam. And so it says, This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. So we're going to stop right there. This tells us a little bit more about who was on the earth. So it says that after Cain killed Abel, Adam and Eve had another son and his name was Seth and that Seth also had children. In verse 4 of chapter 5, it says that after they had Seth, then they had other sons and daughters. The problem is that Cain was scared of other people killing him before Seth was even born. Because as soon as his punishment was handed down, he said, but other people are going to kill me. So we know that before Seth was born, there were other people on this earth. He also married a woman. So where did she come from? I want to read you a verse in the New Testament because this will help us understand whether there was an entirely extra set of people that were created or if all of these were descendants of Adam. So look with me in Romans 5, 12. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through that sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment, which came from one offense, resulted in condemnation, but the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ." Therefore, as through one man's offenses, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification for life. Okay, so what that's telling us is that because of Adam's sin, every single person is now a sinner. It says in verse 12 that through one man, sin entered the world. And it spread to each man after that. Because once people were aware of good and evil, then they had the opportunity to choose evil, and we all do at some point. So sin entered the world through Adam, and that made everyone condemned. Every single person was condemned through Adam's sin. And so every single person needs a Savior because they were born as a child of Adam. And so what this passage is telling us is that sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and sin was justified through one man, Jesus Christ. The reason that I'm reading this to you is because if there was an entirely different group of people that were created that are not mentioned in this Bible, then they would be without sin because every single person is a sinner through Adam because they were born of Adam. So if they were not born of Adam, then they would not be sinners. And then they would not need a Savior and Jesus would not have died for them and we would have perfect people walking here on this earth. Or we'd have a totally different set of people that also sinned, that also needed a Savior, but then they would have a different Savior than us, and none of that is written in this Bible. So that brings us to the conclusion that there was not an entirely different set of people that God created that he just didn't mention here. Remember in the very first episode, whenever we discussed the creation week, we said everything that was created was created in that first week. So every animal that was ever to be created was created in that first week, and then they just multiplied. Every person that was to be created was created that Week and then he uses the man and woman that he created in the first place to create other human beings. He never creates another person. So then that brings us back to, okay, if all of these people were descendants of Adam and Eve, then why do we not hear about them? Well, if you look how it says Seth was born after Cain, and then he also had other sons and daughters after that. Well, if he had other sons and daughters after that, most likely he had other sons and daughters before that. The issue is just that this Bible cannot name every single person that was ever born. It told about Cain and Abel because those were the two important people. And then it tells about Seth because Seth was born after Abel died and Cain was sent away. So these are the three people that are important to this narrative, and that's the reason they're being discussed. There were several other children. We know there were several children after Seth. Does it really make sense that they had Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel grew up, were old enough to farm and ranch, and give offerings to the Lord, and they didn't have any more children, just the two of them. I mean, God had given them the command to be fruitful and multiply and there was no birth control back then so they just had two kids and then sat around for 130 years until they decided to have seth again that doesn't make a lot of sense They were having other children, and we just don't hear their names, just like we don't hear their names after Seth, because they're just not important to this narrative. Cain and Abel are important because they fight, and one of them is killed, and the other one is sent away. And then Seth is significant because Seth is the one who was born directly after all of this happened. It even says in verse 25 of chapter 4 that Eve says, God has appointed another child for me instead of Abel. And so it's just the next child that's born after Abel, the next son. He's also the one that God chooses for his lineage to be through. Every other important person is born through Seth. So we did get to see who Cain's children were to an extent. And then we're going to see who's the lineage of Seth. We don't know the lineage of anyone else because they are not significant in the line of the Israelites, in the line of Jesus. And again, we just can't name every single person. Now, the women specifically aren't named because women were not going to carry on a name. So most of the time when they're giving lineages, they're explaining the family line. And so that's always explained through the male because he's the one that keeps the name. The only time we hear about women is if they're going to be important for later in another story or there's something, you know, if someone marries them or something happens to them, then a lot of times we'll hear about them in the genealogies. But that's the only time they're mentioned. So Cain's wife is not necessarily significant. So we never hear her name. We never hear who she's born to because Cain is not very significant anymore at this point. So you may be thinking to yourself, I don't really care about any of this. I don't know what it really matters if there was a second group of people or if everybody descended through Adam. But the reason that it matters is because if everyone did not descend from Adam, then everyone is not a sinner, which means everyone doesn't need a Savior, which means all of the gospel is irrelevant. This is something that people that are not Christians will try to use to discredit Jesus or the Bible and our need for a Savior. So it's really important that we have answers for people when they come to us trying to stump us or disprove things. That's the reason that this is important. So at least we have a defense if someone were to come to us and say something like that. And so there's several things that we can take away from this today. First of all, the knowing. Again, I would just want you to focus this week on really knowing the Lord, being intimate and transparent with Him, being open and just having experiences with Him, and then also focusing on doing the same thing with your spouse, just being more open and more intimate with them. But as far as this story that we've learned about with Cain and Abel, we need to be able to hear the rebuke that says, hey, you messed up. And then we need to learn from those mistakes. We don't need to dwell in it. We need to hear when God's telling us, Hey, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Listen to God's voice when He warns us. When He's telling us, Hey, you're getting in a bad situation. You need to get out right now. Take control over your feelings. Take control over your thoughts. That way God doesn't have to make us. Don't allow yourself to sit in those negative feelings of jealousy or anger or discouragement or victimization. Don't allow yourself to think about everyone but yourself. Take a good hard look at yourself and see, hey, is there something I need to change? Keep your heart soft. We never want to put ourselves in a position where we're indifferent or callous towards God or others. We need to be able to admit whenever we've done something that we shouldn't or if we're heading in the wrong direction. So that's all I have for today. Feel free to email me. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.